0: All you reality TV lovers, we've got an extra special episode of The Girls Uninterrupted with our very own Aisha Scott from the latest season of Below Deck Mediterranean, all thanks to Heyu, the best of reality TV. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. It is Thursday the 25th of January, and guess what? It's been 50 years since the start of the 10th Commonwealth Games held in Christchurch. In 1974, the Garden City was hosting in a bunch of athletes competing in a bunch of sports. And five decades later, Christchurch is keen for another dance with the Games. We have more on that later in the episode. Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Imogen and this is what's worth talking about. Inflation is down, but is that good news for interest rate drops? It's almost a year on from the devastating floods in Auckland, but what has changed? Could Christchurch host the 2030 Commonwealth Games? And why a target employee lost their job or because they bought a drink bottle? We have all that in a moment here on Newsable Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support Rent and rates were two of the biggest contributors to the latest inflation statistics and Trade Me figures back that up with the national median rent hitting 645 bucks a week, the first increase in nearly six months. Now, overall, the inflation news was good, with the headline rate dropping to 4.7%, under the Reserve Bank's predicted 5%. But that fall is said to have come from international factors. Domestic inflation remained higher, and a few regions would be able to tell you all about that. The Bay of Plenty has become the most expensive place to rent, overtaking Auckland, with a median rent of $670 a week. To help us untangle what's going on, we're joined by economist Shamabil Yakub. Kia ora. What's going on with rents? Some places are quite stagnant, others seem to be running away.
1: Yeah, a lot of it's to do with um, not having enough houses that are being built relative to the big surge of immigration that we've seen recently. So there's this kind of this big uh, shortfall. And so we are seeing more of that catch up in rents taking place, particularly in the provinces where house building is really quite slow.
0: So with high migration, could this turn around and actually keep inflation up despite this welcome drop?
1: Yeah, look, um, with immigration high, interest rates very high, which reduces the rate of house building, we're actually working against each other. So this is a really strange environment. Normally, the Reserve Bank will raise interest rates to reduce inflation. But when it comes to housing and rents, it actually goes the opposite way. When you raise interest rates, we build fewer homes. And with immigration high, demand is going up. So rents are going up a lot. So we're a little bit stuck. So when it comes to managing rents, it's not about changing interest rates, it's actually about making sure we build enough homes and have immigration that's much more predictable and much more stable.
0: So I mentioned Bay of Plenty before, heading number one for rent, not a good thing for people wanting to live there. Do you know what's going on? Has there just been a population boom there?
1: All around New Zealand, businesses are crying out for workers. There's just not enough workers available, massive labour shortages. So a lot of those people are going to the provinces, And because during the COVID years, we didn't build up enough homes, all of a sudden this sudden surge in demand is having a big impact. Auckland was unusual. Auckland, for example, was a place where population was declining during COVID years, but we kept on building at a really high rate. So even though immigration is really strong right now, we haven't seen that reflected through rents yet.
0: And of course, food prices as well hitting people's back pockets. People have really been feeling the effects of all that. Are prices dropping at all?
1: They are. So they're kind of edging down just a little bit. So if you think about it, it went up a lot through those COVID years. And in the last little while, they've come back just a smidgen. So it doesn't feel like things have gotten cheaper, but they haven't gotten much more expensive.
0: And with the headline inflation figure in the fours, are you expecting interest rates to drop sooner than expected?
1: Not yet. And partly that's because while the inflation rate is coming back, there is still a lot of, um, I guess, unknowns in the outlook so we know that for example petrol prices going up we know there's a whole bunch of international things taking place with the geopolitical uncertainty in the middle east which is leading to shipping delays and increases in fuel prices and things like that so there is still a little bit of uncertainty so i don't think the reserve bank is going to be rushing towards cutting interest rates but i suspect the next move in interest rates will be down but probably more towards the middle of the year and the later part of this year rather than in the early part.
0: What was your main takeaway from those latest inflation figures? Well, I think
1: the big one is that fear that inflation was getting out of control, that there is no end in sight, that was disproven. Um, So in the last three months of 2023, the average inflation rate for those three months was 0.5%. That means we're kind of in the middle of where the Reserve Bank expects to keep it. And that's really good news. It means that the economy is not overheating. If anything, I think we should be preparing this year in 2024 for a slowdown in the economy, inflation being less of a problem and focusing more on how are we going to deal with all these uncertainties that are out there? And how do we look after people who are really struggling with those cumulative increases in the cost of living over the last few years?
0: Economist Shamabil Yakub, thank you for doing what you do so that you can explain it to us all so well. Quick update on the golden clams story we did at the end of last year. This, of course, was in Topor, where local iwi with council support cancelled a couple of commercial boating events due to the threat of the invasive tiny clams that are wreaking havoc in the Waikato River. Well... All interested parties seem to have come together and decided on a plan. That means the events can go ahead. There'll be rigorous, mandatory boat cleaning by the sound of things. So great news for boaties in and around Lake Taupo. And hey, remember, if you've got something to say, flick us an email, stuff.co.nz. And also remember to make sure you're following us wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss updates like this tiny, clammy one. On the 27th of January 2023, Auckland faced an unprecedented deluge, driving hundreds from their homes and claiming the lives of four people. Civil defence centres were set up, insurance claims skyrocketed and Mayor Wayne Brown was forced to apologise for dropping the ball on the response. New Zealand's largest city was in crisis. So a year on, is Auckland and the rest of the country better prepared for the impacts of climate change? And what's the situation on the ground now? Auckland Councillor Richard Hills was at the heart of the flooding as events unfolded a year ago and joins us now. Kia ora.
2: Kia ora. thank you for having me.
0: Richard, how badly did the council get things wrong on that fateful night and day a year ago?
2: Yeah, so I think uh, I was pretty clear at the time that things were uh, not good, we were not prepared and there was just not enough warning. We've obviously admitted that through the inquiries that we're trying to post the floods and we are uh, working to improve that. But at the time, um, I sort of took it into my own hands for my own community and those uh, around me just to mm. throw out my own warnings and... Uh, try and get people away from the water into safety. But it wasn't a good situation at all for our city.
0: And fast forward then to today, are homes still unoccupied or facing unresolved claims due to the flooding?
2: Yes, so there was around 3,000 homes that were red or yellow placarded at the time. I think we're down to about 150 homes that are red uh, stickered and about 700 that are yellow. So yellow means that you can't access some of your property, and red means that you can't access the entire property. There are about 7,000 homes that we've put the feelers out for categorization, for buyouts and assessments, and then people, I think about 2,500 people, have opted into that process, and we are slowly um, getting through that process
0: it's still quite a few homes that either they can't access parts of or can't access at all. What are those homeowners telling you about how they're feeling? What what sort of impact are those on the ground having?
2: Oh, there's a significant impact, and I think the issue we found on that night and since then is that it was so widespread. So there almost wasn't a part of Auckland that was significantly impacted, and it has been this this getting the specialists, getting the geotech engineers, getting help from government. We only got the final agreement to do a buyout process and um, ensure we get that uh, support for funding only just before the election. So I think September. So it has been a long, horrible wait for those um, families. I think the biggest issue is, uh, well, two issues. One, the slips. There was about 10,000 slips across Auckland, which is significant. Um, A lot of those slips couldn't be assessed until they stopped moving and that with the constant rain we had for well over 12 months, that was difficult. And then there's the issue around the homes that look fine now, but are in in a serious hazard zone or, or uh, at risk. If that if we got another 300 mils in one day, what is the risk to those homes? So that process for people is tough. It's still ongoing, and in yeah, my heart, really goes out to those people who are so badly affected through this.
0: So are the hardest hit areas now better prepared? Should we see a similar weather event again? And are you confident that what we saw in terms of the handling of that weather event won't happen again? Yes,
2: yeah, so I, I think two things. One, and not that it's an excuse, but that night we only had about 20 mils predicted through NIWA, through Service. Mm. That was all that was predicted. So the warnings, the early warnings were just... Fairly impossible since you know there was no models that I think uh, New Zealand government agencies use that would have seen 300 mils on their way. So obviously we're looking to better uh, models and share more um, advice and evidence.
0: Other than the things you just listed off, then is there anything else that needs to be done? Any more that needs to be done?
2: Regulatory teams are going out, working with private landowners, working with people who may have built, uh, you know, cinder block walls in a in a floodplain and or an overland flow path. How can we Change the nature of what people are doing in their backyards. You know, don't put a massive brick wall in the way of where the water's going to flow. So, can we have some wooden slat fencing? It's it's all those little changes that can build up in an area. So, some of these things are happening fast, but largely infrastructure probably at this stage can't prevent what happened that night. We sort of have our stormwater infrastructure is made for a one in ten year event. What happened on the twenty seventh of January was a up to one in 200, 250 year situation. So when you're getting a whole summer's worth of rain in about four hours, it's very difficult to prepare your infrastructure. It's about moving people away from the risk, which was I was trying to do and many people were trying to do on that night. Now through this buyout process, and then of course, future plan changes will mean that people can't build in some of those areas in the future.
0: It was certainly a day to remember, wasn't it? Auckland Councillor Richard Hills, thank you so much for the chat. Kia sure, thank you. Now, Auckland's Mayor, Wayne Brown, was unavailable for a chat, as was Auckland's Deputy Mayor, Disley Simpson. But she did send us her thoughts, saying, we need to remember that the scale of the damage was so great that it required new flood mitigation measures and climate-resilient urban planning. She says there aren't quick fixes but are now high priorities. For many Aucklanders, Lee Simpson says the reality is they still haven't been given certainty so they can either return to their homes or move on and that that hurts us all. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. So a Target employee in the US lost their job because they bought a Stanley Cup. You know the ones I'm talking about. They're everywhere at the moment. And there's a bit more as to why this person lost their job. I will explain it all. But I want to know what you think about Stanley Cups. Are they worth the hype? Yeah? Nah. Get your votes in on the Stuff Instagram page. Just search NZ Stuff and check out our Insta stories. It is 50 years since Christchurch held the Commonwealth Games. This, in fact, was the music that rang out as the sporting event, nicknamed the Friendly Games, got underway in 1974. But somewhat unbelievably, the current mayor of Christchurch, Phil Major, has just put forward a suggestion to council to host the Games again perhaps as early as 2030, and the council has agreed to consider the idea. Press reporter Sinead Gill was at the meeting and joins us now to tell us more. Sinead, welcome. Kia Why does Phil Major think Christchurch can host a Commonwealth Games when we've had Victoria, Australia and Alberta and Canada
3: pull out saying they can't afford it? Well, his Commonwealth Games aspirations aren't new. He did suggest 2026. Once Victoria pulled out of that, his colleagues told him no. (laughs) Today, they didn't say no, but they definitely watered down his pitch, which was for 2030. And opponents of the Commonwealth Games that soon said, well, the Olympic Committee is already considering it for 2034. Why should it be a Christchurch thing? There's 50% rate rises predicted at the moment, so can the city Afford it. Let's talk about the concerns. What else were people saying? So there are protesters there. About a, I'd say about a dozen to twenty. Uh, they're holding banners. Someone spoke. A man wearing a film major mask ran out and started throwing money around, saying, "I'm film major. I love wasting money." They're concerned not just for the environmental impact, but that the Birmingham Council hosted it in 2022. Last year, they were made bankrupt, and the Commonwealth Games is being blamed. So they're concerned that would happen to Christchurch.
0: Have we got any indication from anyone, experts, architects, if this is actually a good or feasible idea, or is this just purely like a passion project for the mayor?
3: Well, that's actually the argument the mayor has. It is a passion project for him. He's made it clear that this is somewhat of a legacy for him. He has fond memories of the Games, but we don't actually know what facilities we have or have not got in Greater Christchurch or the South Island what we would need to get to that standard. They're fairly confident that after the rebuild, we do have the facilities, or the facilities are going to be done by 2030. The question seems to be more around accommodation. That could be where we're lacking, but we actually just don't have that stock take. And that's what the report would do. So you mentioned protesters. Have you spoken or do you know of any residents that support it? Yeah, there will be residents that support it. I haven't spoken to them directly. They didn't give a presentation at the meeting, but... There are people who have fond memories. It's 50 years almost through the day that the Commonwealth Games were last in Christchurch, but that was back when there were about 10 games in the Commonwealth Games. <laughs> and I think the Town Hall hosted an event, and we still got the Town Hall. So there's a lot of nostalgia, and people want to put Christchurch back on the map and tell the world we're open for business. Imagine the Commonwealth
0: Games here in New Zealand. I can't imagine it, but you know what? It would be pretty cool. Press reporter Sinead Gill, thank you so much. No worries. Stanley Cups are having a bit of a moment in the sunshine in the news of late because the media's caught onto what has been a viral sensation for months now. In case you're not aware, Stanley Cups are like these big, giant, insulated, reusable cups slash drink bottles with handles. They come in nice colours. They are quite expensive. They are 90-odd dollars or so. They went gangbusters on social media at least last year. And yes, I do have one, and it's pink. And it's brilliant. But their popularity has finally caught the attention of the non-TikTok users of the world, in part because Stanley recently did a collaboration with Starbucks that saw American customers and Stanley Cup fans go nuts. People stormed shops that were selling these things. People waited in line for hours. Apparently, people were stealing them in bulk as well. And it's this collaboration that came in the form of a stunning hot pink cup. I would have been queuing for it, that has allegedly cost several target workers in the States their jobs. One former target worker has told US media outlet Business Insider that she and several colleagues were fired because they purchased Stanley Starbucks collaboration cups ahead of their shifts because a barista set some aside for them. Now, the Target Employee Handbook says staff cannot use their status to gain an unfair advantage over customers when it comes to purchases. And it also says merchandise must be available for customers to purchase for at least 15 minutes before employees are allowed to buy one for themselves. I mean, this employee and the several others, she also says did the same thing, did violate Both those parts of the handbook. And people were queuing up overnight for these things. It is just nuts. The chokehold these drink bottles have people. And I mean, I got one. And I love her. And yes, she's a her. Producer Philippa on the hand is a little bit dubious over the price. But I want to know what you think. Are they worth the hype? You already know my answer. I've already said, I love her. Get amongst the action on the Stuff Instagram page. That is newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.
2: I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues.
0: You don't want to be held to account well, no. on what, rising child no. abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime
2: statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tag to you about gotcha journalism.
1: Hang
0: into the national parties. No tagline right, there. That what, I what, think that, it would be
3: a resignation of If I didn't deliver tax reduction.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what we're we're focused on.
0: Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.